speaking Christian. By that, I mean knowing and understanding Christian language is in a state of crisis in our culture. That's how Marcus Borg begins his book by the same title, Speaking Christian. State of crisis in our culture. Here's what he means. For many people, Christianity has become an unfamiliar language. Many people either do not know the words, or if they've heard the words, they have no idea what they mean, or perhaps more likely, they don't care. Then there's another crisis across recent decades. The words that Christians have used can take on different meanings and different emphases, and this only creates more confusion and misunderstanding. So here's an example of the crisis and the confusion. Do you know the word apocalypse or apocalyptic? The word apocalypse and apocalyptic have to do with the end of the world. But some people have taken that word and that literature and they've run so far as to make the end of the world a central part or the central part of Christian faith. Christian faith for them at least means looking for and waiting for the end of the world and then determining, determining what happens to whom. That was never the intent of apocalyptic literature in the Bible. No, apocalyptic literature is a type of biblical literature that emphasizes the lifting of the veil between heaven and earth. The lifting of the veil so that we can get a glimpse of God and what God is about, especially in the future. And there is a helpful and a positive point in that literature. And it's not to make us fearful. And it's not to make us attentive to the end or who is left behind. Our passage for today is considered apocalyptic literature. In fact, the same passage that we're reading in Mark is also in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. And it is considered the little apocalypse in the New Testament, a short version of warnings about the end of the world. The longer version, you probably know, comes in the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. But listen now to Mark 13, the first few verses. As he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, Jesus, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? And then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. 
but the end is still to come. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in in various places, and there will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus is not teaching people about love and forgiveness in this little pericope. He's lifting between heaven and earth, and he's talking about God's ultimate intentions and the end of the world. This is why this passage is called the little apocalypse. Jesus is not just telling stories and saying, let the children come to me and sitting them on his knee. He's speaking about the things that really haunt human life, wars and violence, natural disasters and famines, and how God is going to triumph finally over those worst things. He says, this is but the beginnings of the birth pangs. Birth pangs means something is coming to birth, coming to fruition, and it hurts. It hurts. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs, which means that in the eternal fruitfulness of God's plans, the bad stuff, wars and rumors of wars, violence and hatred, earthquakes and other natural disasters, they're all giving way to the goodness of God. This is part of the good and engaged and fulfilling all things. So I want to say three things about apocalyptic literature. Three things about this passage and this word, birth pangs, with the hope of helping all of us think about our own Christian faith and live with more devotion, more trusting, more serving of God as God's people. First, these words of Jesus about birth pangs want to remind us very much that bad things are always a part of life. The setting of this passage, as you heard, is very commonplace. The disciples are simply walking with Jesus out of the temple in Jerusalem. They gaze at the beauty. They sense the magnitude of the temple. What large stones, they say. What large buildings, And then Jesus bursts their grandiose ideas. Not one stone will be left here upon another. They will all be thrown down, bursting their bubble. That temple out of which Jesus and his disciples would have been walking was called the second temple. The temple was the largest of all the temples that were ever built on that spot. Bigger and more elaborate than the one that Solomon built which was destroyed by the Babylonians 500 years prior to Jesus' time. This second temple was built after the return from exile from Babylonia, and then the people uh, continued to build it up, and then Herod the king, right before Jesus came on the scene, gave lots of energy and resources to enhancing this temple. So it was very magnificent. But in the years after Jesus' ministry, after Jesus' life and death and resurrection, after then in 70 A.D., that second, that massive, that beautiful temple was destroyed by the Romans. 
The Romans came and they conquered and they oppressed and they assumed power in the entire region of the Mediterranean. So when Mark is writing his gospel some years after Jesus, around the 70s, and depicting Jesus and his disciples walking out of the temple, that extravagant temple has already been demolished. So the text, this text, wants very much to remind us that bad things are always a part of life. If the beautiful temple of God that stood on that beautiful spot can be destroyed, can worshiping God and serving God still be valid? If violence keeps happening, if wars keep raging, if famines continue, can we trust God? This is what is going on in this text. And we all know too well about these questions. And Jesus helps us with apocalyptic images. Jesus says, indeed, bad things are going to come. And don't we know it? Don't we know it? Leaders will try to lead you astray, Jesus says. Violence will be part of life, Jesus says. Even mass shootings. And more mass shootings. We know too well. Fires will rage. We know too well. People will die. It's scary. It's heartbreaking. Yes, Jesus says, this is but the beginnings of the birth pangs. Something is being brought to birth. And it hurts. It hurts. As long as there's life, there's heartache. As long as there's the world, as we know it, there are going to be earthquakes and fires, as long as they're people and power structures, people will lead us astray. As long as there are boundaries and borders, there will be wars and famines. As long as we dwell in these bodies, there'll be cancers eating at us and other problems that threaten us. This is all part of the wonderful, mysterious, magnificent, complicated world that we live in. Bad things are part of life. Be patient, Jesus says. Be aware, Jesus says. Be awake, Jesus says in other places. Second, this kind of apocalyptic literature about the end of the world and the raising of the veil between heaven and earth and the warnings about the end times want to confirm that God is still in charge. With so many dying in fires this week, lost in the mess in California, with so many mass shootings in just so many days, with so much fear and heartache among us, with many people seeking asylum, so much growing animosity, it can feel helpless. Disillusionment can be overwhelming some days. When Mark wrote this gospel, the people knew that the temple had been crushed by the Romans. As we listen to these words, we all know too well about difficulties. Difficulties that we face in our own lives. The illness is gaining on us, maybe. Anxiety is haunting us in some places. Failures and regrets We can't get away from them. Depression, more, lurking. 
As we hear these words, we can also recall the Twin Towers toppling in New York City on 9-11. Those images come to mind instantly for most of us. We can sense the fears that gun violence brings just whenever we're in a crowd of people. This is real. We can name injustices in our city, in our school system, in various places around. Problems perplex us. Could God really still be in charge? It's a valid question. Jesus says, this is but the beginnings of the birth pangs. It hurts, but something better and new is going to be brought forth. Here's another way to think about it. Jesus actually walks on the scene and says, the reign of God is here in his person, in his message, in his teaching, in his healing. The reign of God is present in him, God in the flesh. It has arrived. He will teach, he will preach, he will embody the fullness of God. Love, kindness, patience, peace, forgiveness, joy, light, all the good things about God we see in the person of Jesus. But there is both an already about this and a not yet about this reign. It's already present in him, in what Jesus does and says, in love prevailing over hatred, in light chasing away darkness, in life emerging out of the grave over death, in service over selfishness, in generosity over greed. All these things of the kingdom of God already present. We can sense them. We can participate in them. Already visible, already distinctive, already wonderful in Him. We get glimpses of it in our own lives, in our church, in our work, in our ministry in the city. We taste and know that God is good. And what God promises for all is depicted in all of that. But there's also a not yet. Not yet this kingdom this reign in fullness, not yet fully here, not yet arrived. There are wars, there are rumors of wars, there are earthquakes, there are fires, there are troubles in our hearts, there are cancers in our body, there are crises in our community, there are disappointments about so many things. This reign of God is not yet fully arrived. Jesus says, this is but the beginnings of the birth pangs. Salvation is a long process. We are getting there by God's grace, but we are not there yet. The kingdom of God has come, but it's not yet fully come to fruition. So Jesus is saying, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't lose focus. Don't give in. We keep looking to God. God will have the last word. God will complete all things just as God creates all things. The earth is the Lord's, the psalmist reminds us all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. Lift up your heads and be lifted up. This is the Lord's. A good reminder for all of us. Third, this apocalyptic piece, these words of Jesus want to motivate us. Want to motivate us to to do the work that is ours as God's people, to promote the full reign of God, the full coming of heaven on earth. Motivate us. 
as I alluded earlier, one of the real dangers of apocalyptic literature is how easily we get distracted. We start focusing on the event or on the prediction and not on what we're supposed to do. We see things, oh, well, that's a sign. And then we stay focused on the sign rather than on living and serving as God's people. We have one mission, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with God. That's our mission. We get so focused on the apocalypse that we fall away from discipleship, perhaps. Jesus keeps saying, follow me. Stay faithful. Beware, but mostly love God and love your neighbor. Stay focused. Stay faithful. Beware, but God's in charge and God's reign is already and not yet. Stay in it. Keep working for it. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with God. This week I purchased Anne Lamott's latest book. It's entitled Almost Everything, Notes on Hope. Here's what she says. Of course, we are reduced at times, late at night, no matter how deep our faith in God or goodness or one another, we're reduced to quivering aspic. No matter how beautiful our views are of the trees and birds and children, there are such scary pronouncements from Washington or our doctors that we can't help bearing the descending tones of age, of global warming, the ticking of the nuclear clock, the heartbeats of 7.6 billion other people around us. This stuff is scary. This stuff is very real. Yet hope is real too, she says. And this is also true. Life is way wilder than I'm comfortable with, way further out, as we used to say, more magnificent, more deserving of awe, and I would add more benevolent, well-meaning, kindly. Waves and particles, redwoods, poetry, this world of wonders and suffering, great crowds of helpers and humanitarians. Here we are alive right now, together. I worry myself sick about the melting ice caps, the escalating arms race, the polluted air as I look forward with hope to the cleansing rains, the coming spring, the warmth of summer, the student marches. John Lennon said, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. John Lennon didn't know how good a theologian he was. We all have all we need to come through, Anne says. Come through against all odds, no matter what we have lost. No matter what messes we've made over time. No matter how dark the night. We offer, and we are offered kindness, and soul, and light, and food, which create breath, and spaciousness, which create hope sufficient for the day. Friends, may we keep offering kindness and soul and light 
And may we walk with God and seek to serve God, trusting in God's coming reign, trusting in God prevailing over all things. May we keep moving with hope, real hope, toward the new birth, the new birth that God promises for all of us and for all the world, all people everywhere. We have so much work to do with God, for God, and for God's promised reign. May we not ever be distracted, but seek always to be faithful in loving, hopeful service like Jesus calls us. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we believe. Help our unbelief. And in these troubling times, keep us moving, keep us loving, keep us serving your grand purposes. Amen.